0: Welcome to Season 4, Episode 12 of Fire Away, Rudner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner, I'm an employment lawyer and mediator, founder and managing partner of Rudner Law, and your host of this episode of Fire Away. Just to remind you, Fire Away streams live online every month. If you missed an episode or you want to watch one again, they're always available on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, LinkedIn, and on our website. Today, I am very excited to be joined by John Curtis and Larissa Donovan. John is a lawyer, mediator, investigator, and this part is very cool. I think former Olympic athlete in the sport of sailing, whose practice is currently focused on resolving workplace conflict. Larissa is an articling student currently working with John. She's also a board member of the Dandelion Initiative, which focuses on survivors of sexual violence. John and Larissa cl- collaborated on an article that caught my attention a few weeks ago and uh, brought us together for, this t- for today's topic, which I'm very excited about. We're going to be looking at the Kyle Beach sexual assault lawsuit against the Chicago Blackhawks and how this case can provide some lessons for HR professionals and employers generally. Those of you who know me know that I'll always jump at a chance to talk about hockey and HR when, the, when those two collide. And we've had a few fun episodes like that in the past. Sometimes they're fun. Uh, this one, unfortunately, is really no laughing matter. And before we get started, I do want to offer a, uh, a warning, a uh, content warning for sexual violence. We're not going to be talking about the graphic details of the Kyle Beach case uh, in particular, but we also recognize that this content can be triggering for some, and we'll do our best to approach it with sensitivity and with a learning objective. So let's get to it. There is a lot to talk about. So John and Larissa, thank you so much for joining me. I um, just by way of introduction, I, I've said this many times, including many times on this show. I'm an organization that simply can't ignore harassment or sexual harassment or sexual assault anymore. And that's true even if the alleged perpetrator is a star or the rainmaker. Think back to the Jan Gomeshi scandal, the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Uh, on the bright side, we've seen tremendous change over the past decade. And, it, you know, it used to be that if someone complained about harassment or sexual harassment, they probably had a better jo- chance of losing their job than the perpetrator did. Uh, and employers would often just ignore it altogether. And we've seen a lot of change. Jan Gomeshi prompted that. Harvey Weinstein did. We've seen the Me Too movement. In some ways, we've seen the pendulum swing almost too far the other way, where people who were accused of, of sexual harassment were dismissed without even a chance to defend themselves, uh, which is equally concerning. Uh, now the pendulum seems to be coming back towards the middle where employers are investigating, and we're going to talk a whole lot about what employers should do when they receive complaints or, or learn about suspicions of harassment or sexual harassment or sexual assault. Uh, but the Cal Beach and Chicago Blackhawks situation is a perfect example of what not to do you know essentially they learned of very troubling allegations of sexual harassment and sexual assault of a young player this was in the midst of a stanley cup run there was apparently a meeting amongst uh, management and they essentially chose to bury it and ignore it and rather to focus on their playoff run and they allowed the alleged perpetrator to remain with the team through the playoffs that they ultimately won the Stanley Cup and he was allowed to be part of the celebration and even has his name on the Stanley Cup or had it I think think it may have been removed by the way could be corrected meanwhile of course the victim was left with no support and ultimately his career and his life were were derailed forever so it's a it's a horrific story it's one that occurred over a decade ago but really only came to to public light fairly recently so John Larissa I guess I'll start by asking what prompted you to to write about this
1: well, you know, the, obviously I have an interest in sport as well, um, but, you know, the, the particular case really highlights the fact that, you know, if you try to bury these things, um, it can really come back to bite you in a huge way. And so this was, you know, the kind of um, thing that I think every organization uh, should be concerned about if they do get these kinds of complaints, um, that they, they've got to deal with them you know, properly and relatively quickly. Um, That doesn't mean the whole thing has to be over um, in in a day or two. Uh, Investigations can sometimes take a long time, but uh, I think it really illustrated the the risk of doing nothing. And of course, in Ontario, that that was an American uh, employer in Ontario, we have a requirement under the Occupational Health and Safety Act that, you know, if this kind of thing comes to light, you really do have to do something. there's always a debate about, well, did someone file a complaint or, or not? We hear a lot of that from employers. Um, well, no one's filed a complaint about that, so we don't need to investigate.
0: Yeah, I hear that a lot, or, or there was no formal complaint. I often get that. Uh, yes. and, and as you said, John, in Ontario and other jurisdictions now in Canada, you do have to investigate, even if there is a suspicion or an incident without a formal complaint. So I think that's that kind of takes away any discretion there. but. Uh, I mean, Larissa. I guess I'll, I'll throw this question over to you. I mean, what what yeah. what do you say the Blackhawks should have done when uh, the well, first arose?
2: I mean, I think this was a case too that illustrates what uh, what you were just mentioning is that even when you have that suspicion, and this case broke with the survivor going on national television and identifying himself as John Doe and saying that the team knew. The team, the whole team knew that's what he ended up saying. And, and, you know, that, that there was people covering this up. And so I think what, uh, that, that really triggered the, the duty to inquire was already like they he's, he basically said it, it was known. And, uh, that's why it is another kind of prime example of what not to do because there was no denying, um, at maybe in in, maybe there was some plausible deniability at first, but there was then the independent investigation that showed no, they uh, they didn't do this right, and uh, uh, we can't take all the credit for for coming up with the idea. We did have uh, some some help with um, uh, writing about this topic and bringing it to our attention. Uh, uh, Phil, I can't remember his last name, John, uh, <laughs> did did help us with this one, but the. Uh, what, what should have been done first, I think we, we put it in the first line of our article, is, is you investigate immediately. This is the first thing you do is, uh, is let the person
0: know that you're taking this very seriously.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I don't have a lot of clients involved in Stanley Cup runs, but uh, I often get the pushback from clients who say, well, we just, it's not a good time. Right. We're in the middle of our annual retreat. We've got our board director's meeting coming up. We've got a huge sales push. Can we just, you know, essentially ignore it for now and come back to it? Uh, What do you guys say when you get responses like that from clients? Well, this this kind of this kind of bleeds into
1: another question. You know, do you hire an internal or an external person? You know, if you are busy, um, that's a perfect reason to get someone external to do it. Um, kind of takes it off your plate Um, and yet you're still you know as the employer still doing the right thing something's going it's going forward but you know one of the things that I would uh, say about you know something else is going on and this is not a good time I mean investigations do take often take several weeks and you know more often than not it's a like a month and a half um, of you know back and forth and trying to find times where everybody can connect they they aren't going to get done overnight anyway, so getting started early doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a huge focus. The other point is they're supposed to be confidential, and so if they're handed proper handled properly by a you know experienced investigator, um, there's a good chance that they'll be able to keep the rumor mill from uh, exploding and and you know help you manage the, the whatever else it is that you're uh, you're doing.
0: Yeah, but I'll I'll play devil's advocate somewhat here. I mean, you know, again, in the Stanley Cup run context, we've heard the arguments that no matter what or how they would have done it, it would have become a distraction, a distraction for the players, for the coach, for everyone. And I've had similar arguments from from clients because you're right. I mean, the idea is it's supposed to be confidential. But we've all seen these situations where, you know, a, a significant group learn that somebody is being investigated and all of a sudden the rumor mill starts and it becomes a huge focus when you're either trying to win a Stanley Cup or trying to achieve, achieve your sales goals or whatever the case may be so you know I, I think we have to recognize you can't always keep it as entirely confidential
1: yeah fair enough and yeah. you know maybe you have to make a, a business decision you know do we want to win the Stanley Cup and all the things that come with that and risk the kind of exposure that you know we see the Blackhawks having. Um, you know it, I suppose you could make a business decision and say that it was worth the risk um you know but if it goes badly it's gonna go terribly terribly wrong so um, I think the the other thing to keep in mind is
2: it's it's hard to imagine I mean I mean the culture of, of silence that that is around sexual violence as well and that is definitely a hurdle that uh, was massive in this case and and in sport culture, in, in itself, which we saw with um, with the U.S. Uh, gymnastics team as well, but the and so this idea of you know we need to hold off because of a business decision or because of a, a sports decision, uh, I think takes away from the uh, you know it, it it implies that maybe they wouldn't have won if this this team somehow rallied around this person who was experiencing something, uh, which we can't say. Um, I, it's hard to imagine in my mind, and I don't play a lot of team sports, but it's hard to imagine a better work environment to model support for one another than a team sport where it's professional team sport. So it, it is a disappointing that that couldn't have been what happened here or that it can't be the lesson we take now is that this could have even propelled them
0: further was seeing this team rally around somebody who needed support. Well, I love that point, Larissa, and frankly, I think you should write another blog post on that um, because, you know, I often, make, I, have, I often give presentations and I talk about the need to investigate and obviously a big focus is on potential legal liability. Uh, but the other point is that A, it's just the right thing to do uh, and B, there are a whole lot of reasons, including the fact that if you become known as an employer who tolerates sexual harassment, who buries it you're not going to be an employer of choice and you're going to lose really good people and they're going to tell their friends not to work there. And eventually it's going to get out and you're going to have a really bad reputation, which can lead to boycotts and backlash and everything else. So there's a whole lot of reasons, but I love your idea that, you know, if this is done right um, and if the word does get out, it can actually be a way to bring people together.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important. You know, the way to frame these things is that we're doing this investigation because we really care about this and we care about a, a fostering the right kind of um, positive workplace culture. And in fact, you know, a lot of the time, I think the meta message when they when someone brings in, you know, someone from the outside, it the, the meta message is that we do care, we're gonna do this right, it's not gonna be biased, it's not gonna be just some internal person giving the employer the answer they want. Um, so I think it's I actually think it sends a very positive message to to do an investigation. And and sometimes it's, uh, you know, important to bring in someone from the outside to to just de- to demonstrate that you're willing to fix the problem rather than, uh, you know, push it under the carpet.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I often help our clients draft some of the letters to the parties involved. And of course, you always want to make it clear that you do take this very seriously. And, and because of that, you're investigating or even better, you're bringing in. An investigator, someone who has a specialization in investigations, uh, and you are be working with counsel. And this is our, our firm rarely does the investigations ourselves. We usually oversee them for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, including the fact that there are people who are extremely skilled and, and cost-effective in doing the investigations, and then we can provide the legal advice. You can't be both investigator and counsel uh, and witness if it comes to that at a trial. Uh, but getting back to your point, John, so messaging can often be really important, and, and we didn't really talk about this before the show, but uh, I love the way this discussion is going. So let's think about the Chicago blackhawks Cal Beach scenario, uh, and as we've said, ideally, the investigation is confidential. Realistically, especially in that context, it's, it's probably not going to be possible to keep it entirely confidential. So... Would you recommend, or have you seen clients who have actually engaged in some sort of PR approach to try to, you know, basically minimize the damage and put out a good message?
1: Well, you know, in terms of like the public relations part, maybe not, but within the company, certainly. Um, and I think one of the things that where that starts, no matter what the uh, investigation is about, and and how, no matter how widespread you want it to become, that the awareness of it to become in the organization. Uh, having legal counsel at, and possibly even the investigator assist in drafting those letters that go out to the complainants the respondents the witnesses to help sort of frame what it, this process is about uh, and I, I i sense that that you do that as counsel that you really try to set the right tone uh in those initial communications i think that's that's very very important um, we spent yeah. a lot of time doing that
0: yeah, no, I, 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 we absolutely do. And I completely agree. I guess what I'm wondering about is the broader messaging. And I think your point is a good one. When I said PR, that was probably not the right term. I didn't mean external, but internally. What can you do to control the rumors?
1: Well, we, one of the things that, uh, that we do is we, we have everybody sign a non disclosure uh, undertaking at the beginning. And um, we make it very clear that they're not to talk about uh, you know, what, what they discuss uh, during the, the interviews with anyone else. Uh, except for po- possibly legal counsel if they need it or or their their doctor if they need uh, medical uh, um, help. But, uh, you know, we we de- basically that's the first thing we discuss every time we start an interview. And hopefully that is it makes an impression on people that that they have to be careful.
0: Thanks. And getting back to the the, the victim, or I'll, I'll say alleged victim, because we're in the context here of an investigation where we're still investigating. Uh, you know, oftentimes one or both parties will be off work on an administrative leave while the investigation takes place. But of course, that in and of itself can lead to rumors because why is so and so not here? Why are they not at work? What happened? Are they on vacation? Are they sick? Uh, whatever. So. I mean, I guess I got a couple of questions. Um, first of all, do you always recommend that the complainant go off on an administrative leave? And and if they do, again, how do you deal with rumors that might arise because of their absence?
1: Yeah, typically uh, let the employer deal with that. Um, but some of the strategies that they might employ, and we might you know, give them some of these ideas, sometimes they actually go off on sick leave all on their own, right? and And so the problem is solved. Um, but sometimes I've seen um, employers kind of announce that, you know, employee X is on uh, on a special project, and they, you know, they're they're not in the office because they're working on I don't know drafting some policies or they're doing research on a special project. You know, and, and it's actually you might think that sounds like you know it wouldn't uh, be believed, but surprisingly, people tend to um, sort of respect that and and they just they let it go. So.
2: I think in terms of uh, messaging as well, um, policy goes a long way in that too. And so being able at some point too, to just point to your policy and say, it it may be the thing that can explain away the administrative leave as well, is just say we're not, haven't made any decisions yet. Nothing, you know, nothing's uh, been, nobody's in a punishment situation. You're all being treated equally until we know what's, until we have a finding in front of us. Um, so pointing to the administrative leave in the policy is, or pointing to other uh, kind of messaging in the policy that says that this is a culture that we're going to take this seriously and uh, treat everybody as, as fairly as possible.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And the other thing that I always make sure of is, you know, people always want to say well, we're going to you know, put them on suspension. And I always tell my clients, don't use the word suspension because that does <laughs> no. suggest a disciplinary context. They're on an administrative leave while pending the investigation. Uh, so I think that's really important as well. Uh, and it still can be tough. I've certainly seen it happen where somebody is missing for, you know, and it can be three, four, five, six weeks, uh, and the rumors get started. And and one of the challenges, I'm not sure if we're gonna have time to get to this because the time does fly by, but is reintegrating people after the investigation. Uh, but before we get to that, you mentioned policies, Larissa, and I know that uh, you want to talk about bystanders as well, because this is often, an important issue. You know, I always tell our clients you have to have a policy. It's got to be absolutely clear that harassment is not acceptable. You also need processes, which we'll, which we'll talk about. But you wanted to comment on on bystander obligations.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's something we're seeing a bit more of a trend of lately. Is, is people um, really encouraging these these bystander intervention programs? And uh, I am a big supporter of them. I think, uh, especially in a case like this where we're dealing with uh, sexual violence, it these are programs that really shift the focus of this being a private issue to this being a community issue and something that we all have a responsibility to address. And similarly in the Occupational Health and Safety Act, and we we know that the, the entire workplace has a responsibility to make sure it's a safe workplace. I think that having a policy that first of all, explains what a bystander is, which is just someone who is in a position to be a witness or overhear an incident um, is supported and and encouraged by the organization to bring that forward. And and we sometimes call it um, empowered bystander. So they, ideally, this comes with some training where they learn how to intervene in a situation or how to safely support someone who has uh, disclosed to them that this has happened to them and uh it, it is um it yeah it r- relates back to what we we're talking earlier of this is a situation where uh there was allegedly enough people around that uh there could have been some some real empowered bystanders these there sometimes are uh bystanders that are going to be quite vulnerable themselves in this case we were hearing these are superstars of at the top of their career who probably could have really been powerful and breaking that silence that they come forward and done something.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really important point. And, and you're right. I mean, it's, it's it's interesting that, you know, despite all the fallout of this from the situation over the last year or so, there haven't really been any consequences for players yet. And, and I guess the more time that goes by, the less likely it is that there will be. Um, but, you know, make the analogy to any organization, you know, if someone is in a position of power they're going to be more comfortable addressing you know, and raising concerns about harassment. If someone is in a vulnerable position, then they're going to be less likely, unless the message is very clear. Uh, as you've said, Larissa, I'm curious to take this to the next stage, because I still see this fairly often where there's an investigation going on. The investigator reaches reaches out to people who are identified as potential witnesses, and they absolutely refuse to participate in the investigation. Uh, how do you guys handle those situations?
1: Well, that that has happened. Um, I mean, you, you, obviously, you can't grab them by the ear and drag them there. But my belief is that um, that's a role for legal counsel to to help assist there in terms of, you know, advising the employer how they're going to uh, tell the employee that they actually have a, 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 a duty to do this to to um, to participate. Um, I, I believe, you know, my, my, my own legal opinion is that um, it's an implied duty on, uh, of, of your employment contract because your employment contract imports terms of the Occupational Health and Safety Act, which require, um, you know, these things to be in, investigated. And uh, so as an employee, you're kind of bound by, by those obligations. That, that's a, it's an argument. I haven't seen that in any case law yet, but um, in order for it to be effective, I would say, you know, that that's true.
0: Yeah. yeah, I like that. I and mean, look, I, th- those people who know me know I've spent way too much of my career looking at just cause for dismissal. Um, but to me, even putting aside the Occupational Health and Safety Legislation, it's an ins- insubordination issue. If you are issuing a direct order to participate and the person refuses, as long as the order is reasonable, then that's insubordination. So if they refuse, yeah. it can lead to discipline up to and including termination, as we always say. Uh, you never really want to see that happen, um, but I think sometimes you know. And the, the unfortunate part is sometimes people are not participating because they're scared to.
2: Yeah, uh, it gets sure. back
0: to everything Larissa said before about the, the messaging, which shouldn't just start when the investigation starts.
2: Right. One of the one of the ways uh, we, about changing that culture too is is even writing it into a policy or or communicating to your employees. That you're not the troublemaker for coming forward, right? That that you're not doing anything wrong when this, uh, when you bring these complaints or, or um, talk about what you witnessed, even if you're the witness who's reluctant to uh, commu- say what you saw or say what you heard, that you don't want to be the one who stirs things up. That that you're not uh, the, the problem here That yet. Yeah. So encouraging that really can, I think, help change a culture and help change the outlook of an investigation as well into something that is gonna be productive rather than destructive.
0: The, the, the fear that I usually hear about, and I've actually got an investigation going on now, is not sexual harassment, it's more of a bullying issue, um, but it's sort of a toxic work environment. One person who is, has been identified as a bully, uh, and the problem we have is that everyone is terrified that if they come forward and, and give their information, there'll be reprisals. Uh, so I, I know we're running short on time, but how do you how do you guys tend to deal with that? Well,
1: I mean that that could come into a, an issue of you know some kind of an accommodation, right? I mean, if you suggest that you're 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 so scared that you're you're beside yourself and you know I don't know emotionally, uh, um, you know affected by this that such that the, the, a duty to accommodate arises, I suppose that might be a problem. But I think Larissa mentioned um, that it starts with the policy. If you have a policy that's expressly talks about the, the obligation of employees to participate in investigations as witnesses if requested, it's a it's something to point to that kind of says, look, like these rules were made long before this particular case, right? We don't have to decide what the right thing is to do in this case, we already know it's in the policy
0: so yeah i think that's important and one thing that we always do when we work with our clients to develop policy is as we say you know it's one thing to draft a really good policy which hopefully we do it's more important in many ways to communicate that and as long as everyone knows what the policy says so john to your point this shouldn't be news that you have to participate you should have been told this one when, whenever the policy was created that's and right. it becomes part of the culture to, to larissa's point um so as As I usually do at the end of the show, I'm going to take my opportunity to fire away in a minute. But before I do that, uh, I'll give both of you a chance for any last last words on the on the topic.
1: Well, I one thing that I would say is that um, for anybody out there who is doing Hr and has to you know hand handle these you know getting an investigation started, I think one thing that I see happening, more and more often is is people get help from legal counsel in defining the mandate of the investigation and it's so important we did one recently where the, the there was no legal counsel helping out and it was a it was a botch job i mean we we, we we tried to sort of point to some of the problems but in the end it, it became clear that what the person thought they put in the mandate was actually not what they put in the mandate we gave them the answer to the mandate and then they were upset that we hadn't given them the answer they wanted. So it was anyway, good to have legal counsel at help at that stage.
0: Larissa, what about you?
2: Yeah, um, just another quick message to HR professionals who um, if you do find yourself in a a position where you're being disclosed to in a sexual violence situation, I think um, just reiterating some of the messages earlier about you know, it is your job in that moment to make sure that the person knows that they are being taken seriously, and that you you're there to offer support. And in that same vein, when we talked about external versus internal investigators earlier, uh, I believe you if you are the person who's disclosed to, if you're an HR person, it would be best practice to find somebody else to conduct the investigation if you are going internal. Um, So whether that be another HR professional, or you go external and hire somebody else, because you're uh, really putting in an awkward position to be that person who's uh, providing support for somebody who potentially is uh, traumatized, and uh, also then investigating them. It's the wearing the two hats could really become a problem.
0: Now, that's a great point, Larissa. Thank you. And One thing I want to pick up on really quickly there is you are as an employer, you should be supporting all the parties involved, the complainant, the accused. Uh, we often recommend if there is an EAP program in place, make sure that they're aware of it. Give them time off if they need it. Uh, so it's important not only to conduct the investigation, as you guys have made very clear, but also provide interim support to the people and especially where it's a harassment scenario make sure you protect the alleged victim and again i'm using alleged because there's no proof yet Um, but if someone says they're being harassed by someone you can't just say we're going to investigate it and then send them back to their desk when their alleged harasser is down the hall Uh, so that's really important as well Um, anyways i know there's a lot more we could talk about but i am mindful of time so i will uh, i will take my opportunity to at least briefly fire away this month Uh, I've said this many, many times, including at the very beginning of Season 4, Episode 12 of Fire Away, but organizations cannot afford to ignore harassment or sexual harassment anymore, and that's true even if the alleged perpetrator is a star or the rainmaker, like a Jan Gomeshi, like a Harvey Weinstein. The reality is we have seen tremendous change in the last decade. I mean, it used to be that if somebody complained about being harassed, they were more likely to lose their job than the alleged perpetrator. And employers would just bury it, especially if it involved an important person within the company. Uh, The Jan Komeshi scandal certainly changed things. I found it fascinating. Right right after that scandal broke, I was attending a funeral of all things. And afterwards, I was chatting with a group of probably seven or eight people. And of course, that was the topic of the day. So everyone was talking about. You know sexual harassment and these were people who all worked in different companies and all of them expressed their horror at what had gone on and the fact that the CBC had allowed it to go on but then they all had their own stories about the person in their company who was known you knew that you never let the young female interns work with them or you never let someone alone with them every company had someone like that who was just seen as untouchable so that was the reality back then and it wasn't that long ago but we did see some progress and we saw some more awareness and complaints being made then we had the harvey weinstein scandal which you know was obviously even broader because that was in the us then we saw the me too movement which really pushed things forward a lot um as i've said before i think in some ways the pendulum swung perhaps too far uh where you know instead of not investigating and ignoring the situation employers were not investigating but firing the accused person without even giving them a chance to respond which is equally concerning in my view Uh, and then the pendulum seems to have swung back towards the middle where a lot of employers understand that they need to take these things seriously and do a proper investigation before taking any action Uh, but the reality is we're still seeing a lot of employers that will bury it and and bear their heads in the sand essentially the Cal Beach and, and Chicago Blackhawks situation is a Perfect example of what not to do. You learn about very, very serious allegations of sexual assault. You're in the middle of a Stanley Cup run at that time, and the management just chose to ignore it and focus on the playoffs, allowing the perpetrator to stay with the team to pursue. The, it was part of the Stanley Cup celebration, and the victim was basically cast aside. Um, so that's obviously not the way to do it. As an employer or as an organization, you know sometimes I'm asked, you know why should we care? You know, putting aside the moral imperative for a moment, as a business, why should we care? Uh, And I think it's important, and I think most people realize this now. You know, if you allow your company or your organization to be known as one that allows or tolerates sexual harassment and that doesn't uh, investigate, doesn't penalize perpetrators, you're gonna lose very good employees. They're gonna tell their friends not not to apply there. You're not gonna be an employer of choice you if it becomes public you're going to get very very bad publicity which can lead to public shaming and boycotts and not to mention of course the potential for lawsuits and and liability you know the cow beach story again is a great example and even though the real consequences only arose a decade later um, there were significant consequences and in most cases of course it happens a lot more quickly so the bottom line and i encourage anyone watching this short uh, video to watch all of Season 4, Episode 12 of Fire Away, uh, where we talked in in more detail. But it's critical to have a clear policy, to have a clear process for reporting, responding to and investigating allegations of harassment or or assault, and then ensuring that appropriate action is taken after that happens. And the bottom line is now, especially in 2022, ignoring sexual harassment is entirely unacceptable. It doesn't matter whether you run a small company or you're an NHL team fighting for the Stanley Cup. The message is the same either way. So that's all the time we have for Season 4, Episode 12 of Fire Away. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. And a huge thank you to John and Larissa for joining me today and having a really enjoyable conversation. I'll remind everyone that at Rodner Law, we want people to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than rather than assumptions. I invite everyone to keep up to date on employment law issues by following our social media subscribing to our newsletter and although we're making progress on the COVID front keep up to date on COVID related workplace issues by checking out our COVID-19 resource center on our website and as I always say none of that replaces legal advice tailored to your particular circumstances if you think you might need an employment lawyer you probably do so feel free to reach out to us Our next episode is going to be on uh, the first episode of season five is going to be on February 15th. As I mentioned at the beginning, past episodes can always be found on YouTube, on our website and archived on Facebook and LinkedIn. And if you like or subscribe to our channels, you'll receive notifications when episodes are live. Lastly, as always, thank you to Rob, Rebecca and Mark for helping out and making this go as smoothly as it always does. And thank you again to everyone for tuning in. Take care and stay safe. Thank you, Stuart.